We are in a series on caring, and what I really feel compelled this morning from the Lord is that we are to care for the lonely. In 2018, there was a major a census from Cigna, the healthcare provider, using the UCLA loneliness scale, and uh, the results have been shocking to the healthcare community and to the well-being of our nation. What it came up showing us is that most Americans suffer from strong feelings of loneliness, a real lack of significance in their relationships. This loneliness is so pervasive that it has concerns for uh, uh, addictions as well as an increase in suicides where people are looking to self-medicate from their loneliness and their isolation. In fact, this report has said that loneliness has the same impact on mortality rates as smoking 15 cigarettes a day and making it even more dangerous than obesity. So it's interesting we have all these moves to quit smoking and to remedy our obesity problems, but no one's paying attention to the issue of loneliness, and it is a major health risk. What's interesting is the study revealed that there are no major differences between men and women, nor even major differences between races and nationalities. Loneliness seems to hit Every gender, nationality, but uniquely different with age. What they found is that through the different generations, loneliness is in fact increasing. If you look at the traditionalists, also called the greatest generation, ages 72 and up, Loneliness affects maybe 38% of that population. To baby boomers, which is ages 52 to 71, it increases to about 42%. As we go to Generation X, ages 38 to 51, it increases to 45.3% affecting the population as loneliness. That goes up again with millennials, ages 23 to 37, to 45.6% increase. But here's where it begins to even increase further, and that is Generation Z, ages 18 to 22, has moved all the way up to 48%. There's a 10% difference from Generation Z to the traditionalists. Different lifestyle, different identity from what has happened through the generations. Now, I don't know who chooses the age groupings for generations. But it has an impact on these ages. And what is fascinating to see with that is the fact that social media has not helped one bit. In fact, what social media was supposed to do It has been quite the opposite. Social media has now really developed social isolation. Because what's happening is people, though they may be talking or communicating or writing to someone else or on their own Instagram account, they're not socializing and relating to people face to face. 
How many of you know that true relationship is developed face to face? And the ultimate relationship we will have with Jesus is this, that when we are with him, we shall see him face to face. Hallelujah. Now I'm talking FaceTime there. And that's going to be awesome. Only 53% of Americans have meaningful in-person interactions on a daily percent, on a daily rate. 53, that's barely over half of the Americans have a meaningful in-person interaction where you can see eye to eye, you can hear voices, you can reach out and touch, you can feel the vibe, you have interaction relationally with them. And so when we look at Generation Z, when we look at these younger generations, we see the isolation even with heads buried in phones. And uh, though there's mass communication, there's lack of relational communication. This is a problem to loneliness. Many teens are feeling very, very isolated and very lonely. It's not become a remedy. It's become a poison. Those who engage in frequent, meaningful, in-person interactions have much lower loneliness scores than those who rarely interact with others face-to-face. You've got to ask yourself, how often am I communicating with people face-to-face? How much am I engaging with them? And what's really interesting about loneliness is this. Loneliness isn't the physical absence of other people, It's the sense that you're not sharing anything that matters with anyone else. It has to do with the quality of relating to other people. And so you can go throughout a day communicating, be in the midst of a crowd, be at work, be with other people, be on subways. No, we don't have subways here. All right, be on buses. Be in carpools, be be at work, be with other folks, and still feeling isolation and loneliness because you're just not sharing relationally with people. This is a major problem for our culture. We have a lot of people around. We have husbands, wives, families, busy workplaces. But if you don't share anything that matters with them, then you will feel lonely. Now, what I find fascinating is one of the first things you see in the church when it was birthed at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it says that there were four things the church immediately began to do. Number one, they began to know the apostles' doctrine or the apostles' teaching. You see, there was nothing written yet. There was no gospels yet. This was a relational interaction of the good news of Jesus Christ. It was shared face-to-face, heart-to-heart, relation-to-relation. And the way they did it was through the eyewitness testimony of the apostles. The apostles were essential. To choose an apostle, you had to choose someone that was with Jesus for three years and witnessed his resurrection. They were those who kept the trust, who kept the uh, eyewitness testimony of Christ's ministry, and it was handed to each other personally relating one to another. You may have the Bible on your phone. You may listen to podcasts. You may watch YouTubes. You may listen to your favorite preacher all the time on your phone or on TV or whatever. But if you're not in the midst 
of the apostles' doctrine one to another, sharing your faith with someone else, you're isolated and you will become lonely. Spiritually lonely. Now what's amazing to me is the four things they did in Acts 2.42 is one, they studied the apostles' doctrine or teaching, and then second, number two, is they had fellowship. The Greek word for fellowship is koinonia. Fellowship is different than just gathering. We gather, but I want to have fellowship. We need to develop fellowship. You know you can come here in a car with somebody, maybe not even communicate, get in here, sit in the room, listen, go home, and never fellowship with a brother or sister in Christ. Not only did they fellowship in koinonia and love and sharing and expressing faith with someone else. But the third thing they did is they broke bread together. They shared like faith. They shared the breaking of the bread for their healing and the drinking of the wine for the blood of Jesus. And through this, that's what unifies us. We may vote different. We may have different opinions about certain things. We may watch different TV shows and movies. We may like different entertainment, some on sports, some in the arts, something else. But there's one thing that we all agree on. Not each other's doctrine, but each other's Lord, Jesus Christ. Even our doctrine is challenged one to another as iron sharpens iron. But what we have is a revelation of Jesus Christ. And we align it to the apostles' doctrine. We fellowship around that. We break bread over the sacrifice given to us. And fourthly, we pray together. And when you pray with someone, you develop intimacy and relationship. These four things are what brought people out of a loneliness and out of an estrangement from God into being a family of people relating one to another and caring for each other. Because the society did not like the Christians. And they came together to dwell together. So, we can be lonely. But the remedy for this is the body of Christ. It is not only the remedy for us in the church. It is in fact the remedy against loneliness out in the secular world. Do you know how many people are so lonely out there? And what I love about Jesus is His heart for the lonely. Let me share with you the heart of Jesus for the lonely so that you too will begin to cause your heart to beat like Jesus's for the lost and for the lonely. Think about the stories. As I went through the Gospels, I began to realize that Jesus had a heart for those who were isolated, who were outcasts, and who were lonely in society. Think of some of these. How about the man in the Gerardine Cemetery. The man who was filled with demons. The demons called legions, so many of them. He was an outcast. Nobody wanted him in town. Because the guy was nuts. The guy he stripped all his clothes off and he wore chains where they tried to chain him up. They tried to restrict him. And he was just a madman. He was filthy. He looked like an animal. But as soon as Jesus went on the other side of Galilee in the Gentile districts of the Gerardines, as he landed there, this demon-possessed man fell at his feet, writhing and screaming. And Jesus went, Ah, get out of here! You're unclean, you're gross! Oh, okay. Correct me. He did not. He did not. He spoke, he, he spoke right to the man and he began to call out those demons. 
He began to remedy that situation of a man who was homeless, a man who was discarded, a man who was a castaway. And he spoke life and restoration to that man. Do you know that there are many people out here who are so demonized and so distraught, they don't even understand their own identity. They don't understand what they're doing. They're wearing masks. They're putting on different outfits to try and remedy and self-medicate as to who they are in any identity. But the love of Christ can reach and touch them. We should never say, ooh, ooh, get away from me. But we cry out and have the heart of Jesus to bring deliverance to those who are bound and captive. Amen? I think of the story of the woman with the issue of blood. For 12 years, blood kept flowing from her. And being a Jewish woman, that meant that she was ceremonially unclean. Therefore, she could not reside in her own home, have any kind of intimacy with her husband, or he would become unclean continually. She couldn't sit on any of the furniture in her own house because it would make it unclean. Her children couldn't hug her, couldn't be with her, or they too would be unclean. She'd have to live as an outcast. I can't imagine the sense of loneliness in the town she couldn't enter in. If she did, she'd have to yell unclean because people would have to get away because again, she had the issue of blood. And so, but she heard Jesus was coming to town and she knew that according to the scriptures that healing would be in the wing of the Messiah, that there's healing in his wing and that what that wing represents is the zitzit on his prayer shawl. That as he would enter into town, she knew that according to scripture, if I could just touch the hem of his garment, that's where healing is for my life. And so, being brash and being bold, she ran into the crowd that was what would, would, if they knew it was her, they would have cast her out. But she had to crawl through the ground and crawl and scratch and get to Jesus to cling and reach and touch him. And what I love about this story, as soon as she touched him, he stopped. He said, who touched me? Peter said, what? Come on! Everybody's touching you! We're all being pushed by this mob of people. Somebody. Lonely. Outcast. Desperate. Touched me. And I always respond to that call. He stopped and he called out. Now this is the bold thing for her. He said, who touched me? Because he wanted to identify her. Now, it would be risky for her to say it, but he wanted the testimony known of what he did for her. She said, it's me. Now all the townsfolk look around and go, "Ah!" and breathe in. It's her. And she said, I'm healed. Thy faith has made you whole. The faith got her to him and he healed her. Jesus touched a lonely heart. Jesus healed an issue that no one else could heal. We hold the very healing presence of Christ in us. And there are dying, lonely people out there desperate to touch Jesus. We are the hem of His garment. We've got to care. We can't look at sinners and say, unclean, unclean, unclean. With the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of holiness, there's nothing unclean. You can't touch me and make me unclean, but I can touch you and bring the holy presence of God. I look further in Scripture 
I see the Syrophoenician woman. It's fascinating to me. Almost every story Jesus has, these are people who are non-Jewish. They're people who are outcasts. Syrophoenician woman comes to him and says, my daughter is ill. Will you heal her? And he says, I will not give the children's bread to dogs. And she says, well, even dogs will eat the crumbs off the floor. He said, man, I've not seen this kind of faith from anybody in Judaism. Woman, there's your healing. Go home. She's healed. Again, he reaches out to where people won't be able to touch the loneliness in their lives. The the number of deaf people, the number of blind people, they need him. They're lonely. They're isolated in their sin or isolated in their physical malady or whatever the problem is. And Jesus goes where people are isolated. Look, if Jesus didn't go where our trouble was, how would any of us get saved? He's got to go into where we're sinning to deliver us. Do you think he only visits at church? then no one would be getting saved. He goes to where there's a heart's cry for him to go. I think of the Samaritan woman at the well. Again, Samaritan, she's not even a Jew. He says, I got to go there. His disciples go, yeah, well, count us out. We'll go get some food. You want a hoagie? We'll get one. He goes into Samaria, he goes into the well, he sits there, and there's a woman coming all by herself in the noonday sun. Why is she by herself? Why is she walking alone instead of with all the other women? Because she had five husbands and the guy she's living with now isn't her husband. She's not married. She's living in an adulterous life. She doesn't go in the morning when all the other women will go to the well to get the water. When it's in the cool of the day, you draw the water in its coolness in a cold pot and you take it into your house in the shade. She goes in the middle of the day so that no one else will see her, so that she won't get teased, so that she won't get shamed, so that she won't have anybody pay attention to her. She looks where she's at and watches. That's why she's so surprised that Jesus would even speak to her. Why are you speaking to me? You're a Jew. He said, will you draw me some water? And she said, yes, I will. And he said, but if you had some of my water, you wouldn't need any more water. Come on. And he says, tell your husband these things. Well, I don't have a husband. He goes, yeah, you said that right. You don't have a husband. The guy you're living with right now is not your husband. I sense that thou art a prophet. (laughs) Why her? Why talk to her? Because, you see, her testimony of finding Messiah who would find her gave her the zeal for how much you've been forgiven is how much you will love. And so that love goes into the town and spreads revival so that the next time Jesus comes into Samaria, everybody crowds in to find Him and seek Him. Again, a lonely woman, isolated, cast out. But Jesus' heart always goes after the lonely heart. I think of the man at the pool of Bethesda and I think of Jesus This amazing story. It's a story about uh, the tradition that at the pool of Bethesda that there would be a stirring of the water 
And when the water stirred, tradition said that an angel of God stirred the water so that once you see it stir, whoever could get into the pool first would get healed. And so there were all the lame people, the crippled, the blind, everybody else around the pool sitting there. They're not basking in the sun with lotion on and little high things on their blankets. They're desperate, they're poor, they're hurting. And as Jesus comes to visit that place, listen to this as to what it says. There lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed, One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there, when Jesus saw him, when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said, hey, do you want to be healed? And the man said, sir, I I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm going another, someone else steps in before me. You see what he said? I have no one. Everybody else is there. The the, the family is there waiting for the water to stir. So as soon as it stirs, Aunt Gladys is going in, man. As soon as the water stirs, there's a son and a daughter taking mom over to the pool. There's a nephew helping dad or great uncle Zed over there. But this man, 38 years alone, 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 of all the multitude of people sitting around that pool, Jesus sees a man. You get this? Out of all these people, he sees the man who has no one. That's my Jesus. Oh, and that is the body of Christ. Are you looking for the one that everyone else has discounted? Are you looking for the one who cannot by their own power come to Jesus, find their way? Can you take him to him? Jesus healed that man. Jesus delivered that man because he had no one. James says true religion is caring and loving for the orphans and the widows. Why orphans? They have no parents. They have no one to care. Why widows? They have no husband. This is Jesus' heart. He cares for the lonely. This world is getting lonelier and lonelier and lonelier. If there is any ministry for the church in this hour, it is to touch The desperate, lonely lives of people. The only remedy is the love of Jesus. Don't, people, don't get caught up in that judgmental, pharisaical attitude. It's a trick. The enemy isolates people. That's how a prey goes to devour what it's hunting. It isolates it. It isolates. That's the trick of the enemy. And once it's isolated and they don't know what to do, they fail in their morality, they fail in their self-medicating, then the other trick is to get the church to become so high and mighty and judgmental that they don't even bother with those people. And what a chasm between what the heart of Jesus is for the lost. I'm not afraid of your sin. I'm not afraid of of what you're doing to destroy your life. We must run to those who are wounded and hurting. Run to those who have failed. 
be the first to call those who have been called out and shamed for their sin. Instead of start talking about them and and laughing at what they did and, and, and just thinking how could they, but to call and realize that they have never been in such a place of shame and loneliness as now when you really find out who your friends are. But if you would introduce them to a friend who's closer than a brother, a friend who would never leave them, introduce them to Jesus. I think of Zacchaeus. I think of Zacchaeus as Jesus is walking through the town. There's this parade going on. I'm thinking it was a St. Patrick's Day parade. Because the song I learned was that there was a wee little man up in a tree. Right? Hi. So I think it's like the Irish part of town. Jesus is walking through the town. People are crying, hey, Jesus, And who's up in the tree but this wee little man? But he was the chief tax collector. Now, it's bad enough being a tax collector. Another reason why he's a Scotsman. Okay, okay, back off. He wasn't an Irishman. He was actually, we'll call him a Welshman then. He was imprisoned in Ireland, and God put on his heart to save the, the Irish that once he was set free and went back to his hometown, he went back with a cry for that place. Isn't it interesting that God will put a cry on your heart for what once imprisoned you? You can go back and win them because you know the loneliness of that place. Sidetrack. Okay, so as he's walking through, he is a tax collector. And this tax collector are hated by the Jews. He's a Jew himself, but he's collecting taxes for the Roman government from his people and typically charging extra so he could skim money off the top. But he's not only a tax collector, he's the tax collector's tax collector. So the tax collectors turn their money into Zacchaeus and Zacchaeus skims some off the top of that and gives it in. Now, Zacchaeus had to see Jesus. He wanted to see him. You want to talk about being a lonely man. Nobody likes him. And so he said, i got to see Jesus. But he's up in the tree. He's not hooting and hollering, Woo-hoo, Jesus, come out of there. He's just got to see him. Jesus is walking through the town. And again, just knowing that there are eyes looking for him from one who is lonely and one who is an outcast. And one who is slandered, as Jesus is walking, he stops and he looks up and he says, today, I'm going to your house. Oh, be glory, he said. Come on now. <laughs> All right, maybe not. Oy vey, come to my house. But what is amazing about this story is that just a short time in the presence of Jesus, Zacchaeus says, I will give everything that I have taken from these people, I will give it back to them, and I will give half of everything I own back. Four times, right? Uh, to the poor. And, and instantly, when someone meets Jesus, the economy of the entire city changes. This is Jesus. This is the heart of Jesus for the lost and the lonely. And I'm afraid that in our own loneliness, we've forgotten how to become friends to the lonely and to have Jesus' heart. 
If you are a follower of Jesus, then there must be the looking out to connect to strangers. It must be on your radar screen. It must be. Stop looking for fellow Christians and just look for a lonely heart. Give them Jesus. Give them Jesus. In fact, in the end, in Matthew 25, when it's all said and done, Jesus will say this, For when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was a stranger, you invited me into your house. When I was naked, you gave me some clothing. When I was sick, you cared for me. When I was in prison, you visited me. Now, think about this for a minute. Who, when I was hungry, what's the problem with this guy? He has no food. It's really not hard. <laughs> I was thirsty, therefore I have nothing to drink. These are people without. And the person who remedied it was someone who had the answer. I had no clothes. You see, there are people who have no word of God to eat. They have no Holy Spirit to drink. They have no righteous robes to wear. But if you would invite them to Jesus' house, if you would invite them into the kingdom of God, you could remedy their spiritual condition. But what I love about this is they ask the question, when? When did we do this? And Jesus said, when you did it to the least of these, you did it to me. So Christian, everything we do to someone else has Christ in view. It carries his heart. It carries his compassion. And this is real stuff. This is real activity. He doesn't say, in the end, he doesn't say, ah, when you prayed in tongues at that public assembly, when you memorized Psalm 57, when you went and preached for me at Cobo Hall, nobody even knows what that is anymore, (laughs) on the streets, he's not evaluating your preaching, your, your memorization, the depth of your spiritual gifting. He's saying, did you touch somebody's life? Now bring those things, bring your prayers, bring all those giftings and everything to the people because that is what will clothe them and feed them and give them to drink is the Spirit of Christ. But do you see how how profound and how real this is? Especially again for James to say, this is true Christianity. Talk to a widow. Care for an orphan. That's Christianity. That's the heart of Jesus. Oh, there are so many who are lonely. So many in need. And that's what we have been called to. We need a real Christianity. We need a real, real Christianity. We've got a lonely Christianity. We've got Christians at home listening to iPods, listening to cell phones. We've got Christians watching Christian TV. We've got Christians watching Christian movies, entertaining Christians with Christians, and Christian Christian having no impact on the lost and lonely. It's time to get out of this building, man. It's time to get out there. 
Now, that is scary for some people because some of you yourself are dealing with loneliness. You're struggling and you're troubled with the sense of loneliness and distance even in your own household. So I want to help you understand how to break that because it is a trick of the enemy and it is, uh, it is the, the temperature of our culture. But how many of you know we're not going to be taken down by our culture because I live by a different culture. I belong to the kingdom of God. Amen. Amen? So here are some issues that you're going to need to start paying attention to. Uh, if you find yourself being isolated and find yourself being lonely, even among a crowd and other people, number one, uh, check and see your health. Let's start take take care of yourself. What I have found in dealing with the sick and those who are constantly hurting is they can't help themselves but feel isolated and lonely because pain continues to keep them self-focused. And that's when they need friends. When you, when you are hurting, when you, when you have tr- a trouble, how many of you have ever had some kind of malady that just hurts and, and you can't get past the issue of pain? So I can't reach out to somebody else because all that's on my mind is my pain. And I'm trying to smile, but this is the best I can do. It hurts. And then isn't it great to have a a Christian come up and say, Hey, smile. Hey, it takes less muscles to smile than it does to frown. Praise God. So people, most of the time who are sick and not feeling well are also isolated and lonely. When I was sick, you came to me and visited me. It's desperately needed. We need to care for those who are sick. We need to care for them. And so secondly, another thing is good sleep. Uh, what, what happens is you're struggling to sleep. You're trying to take care of yourself. You're so drowsy. You're so tired. You're not paying attention to anybody else. So uh, it would do us well to sleep well, take care of our health, and most of all, we need relationships. The reason we feel that we're lonely and we're not connecting is we, we're not having meaningful conversation with other people. True meaningful conversation. Would somebody pay attention to what I have to say? Would someone care for my opinion or my thought? You know, how many of you have ever been out with somebody else and you realize this conversation could have been going on without me here? ever do that? That person hasn't stopped talking about them. And, and so we have to learn how to communicate and how to share our conversation one with another so that we can relate with each other. Don't take over the conversation. Leave some gaps. First of all, for breathing. But second... <laughs> for somebody else to interject so you can begin to relate. This is very basic. And third, employment. You know, a lot of people who don't have work are very lonely people. They feel shamed. They feel that they, they, they are unproductive, especially men. How many of you have ever been out of work for more than a month? And you begin to get depressed. You begin to get down. You begin to draw in. You begin to isolate, especially men. Again, men uh, define themselves by what they do. 
how productive they are. So we've got to watch out for people who are sick. They're usually isolating. People who are tired and can't sleep, they're isolating. People who have not been in relationship or can't keep a relationship, we've got to help them learn how to communicate. And those who are not employed, we've got to somehow get them involved and engaged in something. And if this is you, then I'm encouraging you to find something. And that's why... I want to share with you a couple things that you can do to get out of your loneliness. You need to eat something to get strength and energy. What is the word eat? An acronym means you need to extend yourself. Well, I'm feeling pretty down and lonely. I don't want to extend myself. You have to. You have to. It's a matter of breaking through the boundaries. And so you have all the good intentions to extend yourself in conversation or get out there, though you don't feel like leaving the house. You have to. So secondly, you have to act on it. You have to make it a duty that I am going to get out and act upon this thing. And thirdly, here it is, got to talk. got to talk. And again, we have been muted in our society and in our culture. I go in other cultures, man. People are talking all the time. Hey, how you doing? Hello, hi, how are you? They wave. Even just different parts of the country. Anybody been down south? Everybody's waving at you. Hi. I'm from Detroit. Don't get this. You're wondering, like, do I have something on my face? What are you looking at? Hey, how you doing? Oh, this is a scam. What do you want? We're not used to this. Man, in this community up here, right? Nobody talks to anybody. You're standing next to people in a line for hours. Dare you say anything? Accidentally bump. Oh, I'm sorry. Excuse me. How are we going to reach the lost? How are we going to build relationships? How are we going to communicate? I am telling you, a smile and a head nod begins to open things up. And so we've got to extend ourselves. And the first thing that's going to help us is we need to do it here in the church. And in Hebrews 10.25, there's a really vital, vital, very important verse. And it says this, Do not forsake the assembling together as some are in the pattern of doing and the behavior of doing. Don't forsake coming together. In fact, encourage one another. And then he puts this caveat. He says, All the more as the day is approaching. What day is he talking about? Sunday? Sunday's coming. Let's get together. No, the day that is approaching is the return of Christ. This is an end times verse. This is an instruction for the last day's church. And what he's saying to those who are at the last time when Jesus is coming back is, you better get in the huddle You better get together and encourage each other because what's going to happen is a great falling away and people are going to get into the practice of not coming together and having koinonia and studying the apostles' doctrine and breaking bread together and praying together. We're losing the power of the church because we don't want to gather. And he's saying you must gather. If we can't learn fellowship here, if we can't learn to communicate and talk to each other here, then we're never going to reach them. And isn't it a trick of the enemy that 
in the church culture, going to church is passe. This thing is fading away. People don't come to church anymore. Right in the midst of the close return of Jesus Christ. Stick together, folks. We have got to keep coming together. And you might think, well, the guy is boring. He's been up there for a half hour now. And you might say, well, the songs, it wasn't really my style. But you're sitting next to people. You're going to have to go past that. You're going to have to relate and fellowship. Come here a little earlier. We bought you bagels and, wait, cream cheese. We don't buy cream cheese for anybody but you. Come on. Lemonade, coffee. Why do we do this? Let's get together. Let's talk. Amen? And so that's what he's doing. So let me give you some real basics on how to reach out to others who might be lonely as you walk in the room and with Jesus' eyes, you catch the person that no one else is paying attention to. I'm thinking of an elementary school teacher who did this. She would, at the end of the month, she would hand out a survey among her students and she would say, kids, write the person you want to sit next to and the three others that you want around you. And so she, the kids would all write down all their friends. I'm going to sit next to Judy. I don't want to have... Tommy's got cooties. I don't want him. And so they'd write it all down and then they'd turn it in. But the whole reason she did that is because she would scan through all the names and she would find the kids that no one wanted to sit next to. And as a teacher, she would begin to focus on those kids because she knew that their peers were ignoring them. But she began to pour into them. And next thing you do, when those kids got poured into, they began to interact. And other kids started to think that they were fun. And they didn't know that they had that, and they did this, and they did that. And pretty soon, the names that were once isolated now became top names with other kids to be seated around. So what are we going to do to reach others? We have to reach for them. So here's a really simple way to know how to begin speaking to somebody else. They might be lonely. You ask questions. Questions are not uh, too aggressive. You just say, hey, how's your family? People usually have a nice answer or a bad answer, but they got an answer. And you can go off that. Okay, well, what do you do? What do you do for a living? Guys like to ask that question. We don't know what else to ask. Right? Right? Or they'll, you know, yeah, how's the tigers, right? So that's what we're not worth talking about. So anyways, uh, or you could ask recreation. So what do you do for fun? What, what's going on? Be careful of that. They'll think it's a pickup line. So, but family, occupation, recreation. These are really simple ways to begin talking. Now you're thinking, come on, I'm in a church here. Give me some Jesus stuff. This is the practical application of reaching other people. I am telling you, this is a foreign language to our culture. And you're going to start blowing people's minds and you're going to care. And why should I care? Because you're going to introduce them to one who says this, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. That is the one we want to introduce them to. It's not another notch on your evangelistic belt it is caring and introducing the heart of Jesus to someone and I believe that he wants to change us as a people to move 
and this kind of caring in this day for this culture. If you receive that, say amen this morning. Amen. Amen.